Hey guys, this is Georgia with Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to that one time I was abducted by aliens with Jamie and Bree. You're listening to that one time I was abducted by aliens. I'm Jamie. I'm Bree, and we're two sides of the coin. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. How are you doing today, Brie? I'm doing so good and I am beyond ecstatic because today we are here with Mary Rodwell. She is Australia's leading researcher and writer of extraterrestrial contact and phenomena, so much that her work is internationally known. She has studied over 3,000 cases of ET encounters and has collected the data that not only proves this phenomena is real, but how it greatly impacts our human story. Her established career in counseling has brought healing to thousands of people worldwide who have suffered from the trauma that comes along with abductions. Because she has listened to the ones that truly matter the most, contactees and experiencers, she's been able to put the pieces together of this much larger story. Mary Rodwell, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's an absolute pleasure, and thank you for inviting me. It only makes sense that we eventually got to link up because a lot of your work is pretty much what inspired us to do the podcast. We are really interested in people's stories, particularly abductions, hence the name of the podcast. And we've both had our own experiences and have had to work through that, through life. And we just wanted to be there for people and normalize the topic of, of going through all of this and, you know, unpacking all the layers that comes along with it. So you're definitely in our realm of interest. Um, and I'm so glad that you are brave enough and courageous enough to actually share your experiences because that's often the major block to many people is who can I tell? Because often family and relatives even can be very shy of hearing about this that is out of their understanding. And it can be very scary for those around them as well. So not everyone is, um, feels safe enough to share their experiences. And that was really you said that in Contact in the Desert, you got, you know, you got my book Awakening. Awakening was written specially for individuals like yourself, because I realized not everyone has access to support. And the only way that I could um, help in that case was to write a book that helped them through the process of how do I know this is real? How do I know I'm not crazy? Why me? Um, you know, what do I do now that I have these experiences? Who can I resource, etc.? So that was the real purpose of writing Awakening. It was an inspiring book. I read it, it was quite a few years ago now, and we did talk about it on the podcast at the time because yes, Jamie did. and mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about what are sort of the the checklist here because we, we noticed that there was a lot of similarities when we were sharing our stories, and then also we listened to a lot of listeners, we, hear, we get a lot of emails, and we noticed that they all were saying sort of the same thing, and that was definitely what your book did for me. I checked a ton of lists off, and I was able to have a lot of my own awakenings to, wow, some things I thought were not connected that were strange and realized that they could have definitely have been extraterrestrial based. It's incredible to read something that you feel like was meant for you. 
It was one of those experiences where I got chills a lot. And then it's just reassuring to know you're not crazy. That's like the biggest part. You aren't crazy. That can change someone's life tremendously. And I think it's also important to Mary, how much you foster that idea of making sure that it's not people saying I'm crazy. You know, we watched a lot of interviews of yours over the years and senior lectures, and I've seen people press the question to you, well, aren't they just crazy? And your responses are always so fantastic. Like, why would people want to do all these things? Like, why would they go through all of this if it was just crazy people? And I think there's really something important and special about the fact that you're making sure that people are seeing that this is just a normal thing that happens to people. What I'd like to say is the reason I put the questionnaires together is because I would have so many saying the same thing. And so that, you know, it was made up of what else? What are the patterns of this experience? that people can relate to. And I, and as you said, it can be life changing to know it's not just you. And I remember a 60 year old man um, talking to me over the phone and he said he had lots of strange experiences. He'd never talked about them to anyone. And I sent him the questionnaire within a day, he phoned me back. He was in tears and he said to me this, Mary, how do you know about my life? And Mm -hmm. I said, well, um, but for him, it was, uh, you know, a revelation that many of his experiences were actually on that list. And it may not be all of them because everyone's at a different stage in their experience. They may have slightly different things here and there. But the biggest thing of all is the questioning, am I OK? Am I not crazy? You know, um, what does this mean? And the isolation and the fear that can go with not understanding what's going on. So how did you even get to the point of collecting all of this together to find these points that you're hitting and saying, okay, this this is a commonality between all of these people? Because I know you started in counseling. So how did this progress for you to get to regressing a lot of abduction stories and contactees? How did you make that jump? Well, it was a process and a good question. Um, from counseling, one of the interesting things in counseling is I, you know, worked with people who were in hospice, so dying. I worked with people with grief and bereavement. And often they would have unusual experiences at that profound time of their lives. Um, some that had lost someone close to them would often say, you know, I often feel my mum's around. I can feel her energy or I smell her perfume. So there was um, already the sense that we are more than our physical body and that those that passed on often still connect with us, if not, you know, um, in a physical way, but in an energetic way or even in our dreams. So I was very aware that we were more than our physical body, that there was a consciousness we call the soul or the spirit that survives after death. I had no understanding of contact with these intelligences, really, until um, I read a couple of books, which was, um, I'm a bit of a bookworm, so if it's weird and wonderful, I've usually got a book on it. And I picked up a book by Dr. John Mack, professor of psychiatry at Harvard University, saying he was a skeptic, but he'd written this book, Abduction, Human Encounters with Aliens. Now, here's a professor of psychiatry saying, I was a skeptic, I did all the psychological testing, and I've discovered that these people are having real experiences. In fact, he wrote another book following that, 
um, passport to the cosmos. That plus Whitley Strieber's book, Communion, were the two that I read before a gentleman came to see me. And he said, Mary, I've heard you're open minded for this. There's no support groups for this. They just think you're crazy and proceeded to tell me about his experiences, waking up with marks on his body, shaved areas. What was profound about his experience was it wasn't just him in the family. It was his partner. It was the children. So this was not a fantasy or imagination when everyone in the family was experiencing it. That in itself gave it credibility, including the fact that he was very articulate. He was very down to earth. And as someone who's worked in counselling for by then many years, you, you soon get a sense when people are grounded and mm -hmm. when someone is very real to them. You know very quickly where someone isn't. And I was I had no doubts this was credible. And I did think it was rare until within two weeks, someone else came to see me who was having experiences with these intelligences. And it was suddenly how how, you know, what's going on here? I thought this was fairly rare. And literally within a few months, I met a social worker that was having experiences. And we actually had the very first support group in Perth in Western Australia um, and that 12 people turned up the very first one. And it was suddenly, hold on here. This is a lot more um, common than I perhaps realized it was. And then it sort of grew to three and a half thousand now families, children. You know, it's cross cultural. It goes across the whole globe. I've had emails from all over the world. And it's also it doesn't matter what profession you are. You can be a doctor or a nurse or a social worker or a lawyer or a celebrity or a politician that will have these experiences. It's not um, it, it doesn't edit out anyone. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are or whatever. It, it's either your experience or it isn't. And the most interesting for me have been recently um, on in, in the children's experiences because the children haven't yet been afraid to share their experiences. They've not been shut down and told that it's not real. So they actually come out with some really fascinating stories about their interactions with these beings. Many of them call their special friends. Do you see a big difference between uh, the way children interact with these these beings it seems like it's so much more playful and and positive and it seems sometimes when we talk about abductees and experiencers who are more adult starts off very fearful and very frightful what is that disconnect between the two it, it seems like drastically different experiences it's a good question and what i've discovered with the new generations of children that are having these experiences there doesn't seem to be the same fears that older generations had. Mm. And often, remember, a lot is to do with our programming. You know, um, the reason a lot of the adults were scared was because they to were told this is scary. And, you know, if you've had experiences and something wrong with you. So they were fearful of their mental health. They were mm -hmm. fearful of being judged. So it became scary rather than them being open to what was going on, whereas the children often have parents who've had experiences, so they feel safe enough to talk about it and they call them their special friends. They talk about where they're taken at night, where they're learning things. So this changes the attitude towards this whole experience when you're not afraid to talk about it, where you know mum and dad are okay with it. 
you lose that fear. So the fear often comes from those older than ourselves or it comes from the programming that we have that this is weird, this is strange, you're crazy. And of course, older generations in my generation, for example, this would definitely, you know, many people would who talk about it would definitely end up in hospital and medicated for mm-hmm. this kind of so you know that's scary so it must be scary and it must be bad and the problem you know although not everyone who's led this kind of experience has been afraid of them anyway they've just never talked about it to anyone instead they've sort of led a double life the one which is the one that's acceptable and another one they've never talked about for years and I met a wonderful lady in Norway when I was speaking there she was almost she told me she was 79 years old and everything I talked about, about these star kids, um, she said, I've experienced all of that, but I've never, ever talked about it. And no one has ever talked about this information to me. And she said, I have found that I can call the sheep. She was a farmer's wife. And she said, I can call the sheep in with my mind and nobody knows how I do it. But I've experienced everything you've talked about. But she'd never heard anyone speak about it before my talk and she was nearly 80 years old. Oh my gosh, so you impacted her life in such a great way then. It it doesn't really matter what age at that point. I'm sure that's a huge gift. When it comes to fear, I know one of your checklist things that you have has to do with screen memories. I wanna know what are the most common types of screen memories? And then also, is that our own conscious mind doing that to protect ourselves from fear? Or is that the beings putting that psychically onto us? It's a very good question. And it could be both. All I can say is when we talk about screen memories that that um, create a fear within us, it's some of part of us knowing something isn't right. So in other words, um, those that get fearful of clowns, Santa Claus, Owls with big eyes, cats with big eyes, skeletons sometimes are really um, images that uh, I think they're taking from our consciousness that to, uh, um, if you like, make us feel like it's normal and it's okay. When in fact, there's another part of us that knows that that's not the case, that there's something else going on. And I remember classically a young man who was having experiences And he said, I'm looking, he said, and I can see clown shoes. And I knew immediately then what that was. And I said to him, I want you to look, I want you to look again. And as he looked, he saw the gray feet. Wow. And Mm -hmm. he was able to see who it was. But it's the same with owls outside the window. That that often is a screen for the grays. And there are, you know, they do use screens. And it may be that they're trying to prevent us from freaking out by seeing them and giving them normal image. But what is fascinating, some of the sightings where um, they will say, you know, I looked out the window and I saw a helicopter and then it changed to a plane and then it changed train. And I know immediately then that that's another of the screens for a craft. Um, And they're again trying to make it normalize it so that we don't freak out. But in the end, part of us gets to know that there is, in fact, something usually um, uh, what I would call unusual in what we're seeing. I usually if it's if it's 
um, not quite normal in what they're seeing, I will say to them, I need you to look again, usually in hypnosis. And then they are able to see it for what it really is. So you talk about these these screens, like, uh, and they're you know as clowns and all these things. But it's also very reminiscent to me of uh, mine and Bree's, I think, biggest pet peeve in this world is when people try to say that aliens are demons. And I know that you've talked before about that you've had people coming to you thinking that it was more demonic, and then finding out it was more a- alien kind of done do you have any idea with all your research what it is about this demon alien connection that keeps getting brought up over and over and over again it's a very good question and often i've found the ones that have some form of a belief system or religious belief um, are the ones that are most terrified of their encounters because they may have been told through their religion that if you open up to any kind of spirits or whatever, that demons can get you. And mm-hmm. that includes, you know, non-human intelligences. And some of the spiritualists that have got in touch with me that have been in, you know, uh, their spiritual group opening up to channeling or connecting to um, spirits or angels or whatever, um, they say, it's fine, Mary, if I can talk about, you know, Auntie Joan coming through me. But if I tell them that I'm also seeing um, a little blue being with big black eyes, they freak out and say it's a demon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, often it's because we judge from the form. We judge what they look like and think, oh, well, they don't look normal or right or ha- how I'm happy with. They don't look angelic. They don't look this. Therefore, they must be bad. So sometimes we're judging on image rather than what we're actually perceiving or experiencing with these beings. So, you know, that's one thing. So I say to people, what do you feel from that being? What is it feeling like? Because there's a resonance to positivity. There's a resonance to love. And there's also a resonance to something that doesn't feel right. So if it doesn't feel right, then that's telling you something, you know. And I say to people, so what were you feeling from the being? Don't don't go on what other people say about them because everyone comes from their own perception of an experience and that that may be right it may not be right you've got to go on your own resonance to truth and and work out whether or not you're feeling a positive feeling from that being or not and i remember an 11 year old explaining that he'd had um, an experience with some a being that was gray but he said didn't feel right um really felt uncomfortable but two days later he had another experience with the gray being and he said they were lovely and he felt they were good and positive. So we have to understand that there are different intelligences. Some look very similar. Some may have a self-serving agenda and some are there because they want to assist and to help. So it's up to you really to feel and sense what's going on for you and what feels right to you rather than go on what other people will say because people are often coming from fear rather than a real understanding. Because with the greys, you know, I was told there are at least 165 species of grey. Mm-hmm. So you can't just pick one grey up and say, well, that represents all the greys, because it doesn't. <laughs> Any more than one human represents humanity. Exactly. That's so powerful, too. It's like fear really decides how we feel about things, when really sometimes I feel like we just need to work through the emotion 
And so I like that idea of how does it feel to you opposed to automatically just saying that it's something that's evil just because it looks different. And I think that probably, you know, can connect to when people think they actually see a demon that's doing something to them. Maybe if they would have just mellowed out or thought about it differently, if that would have shifted into something else. When I read your book, Jamie and I had were doing an episode, like I mentioned earlier, about this checklist. And I was talking about the screen memories and how weird it was that one of my earliest memories as a kid was when I hurt my leg and I was in bed at night and I couldn't move. And I just remember a bunch of firefighters coming to visit me at night and coming around my bed and that they healed me. And then they just left. Jamie was like, you really think that there was firefighters that just showed up in the middle of the night and just gathered around your bed and healed you? (laughs) And it was like, I never thought about that before. It was just something that felt like, okay, it just happened. I didn't really think about it until much later. I still don't know what it is. I just know that from what I remember, there were firefighters that showed up in the middle of the night and healed me in my bed and then I could move. And so I wonder also if it's just like pulling from something that doesn't scare you so you're more open to whatever happens next. And obviously that was a healing uh, situation, so it wasn't something that I felt fear in. But it's just curious to think about all the different experiences that people have where we give them all these different names if it really just comes down to our fear that we're projecting on all of these. And I love to hear stories of people that have had these horrible abduction experiences and they're very traumatized. And then over time, they work through the fear and all of a sudden their perception has shifted on the overall experience. So have you come across a lot of that with people where they start off very terrified and this is horrible. Why is this happening to me? And then it shifts and it's, wow, they've helped me. They've changed my life. Absolutely. And this is it can uh, uh, hypnosis often can allow them to really understand what was going on. And to give you an example of how fear of what might be rather than what really happens. I'll I'll give you a brief story of a gentleman who was quite okay with going on the craft, but he said the thing that scared him the most was when this huge black eye came towards him. And he said, that freaks me out every time it happens. And I said, well, what do you think is happening? And he said, well, I think maybe they're taking me over. So he said, but I wanna find out exactly what happened. I wanna face my fear. And so I took him into trance And he gradually saw this big black eye coming towards him and he was getting more and more anxious while he was doing it to the point as the eye got so close, he suddenly completely relaxed. And I said to him, so what happened then? And he said, oh, he said, they're just giving me information. So he wasn't taken over. He was actually having a download via that that method. The other thing that you brought up was how people change as they get to understand their experiences. And the surveys that were done by the Dr. Ed Mitchell Free Foundation, I was one of the co-founders of that with Dr. Edgar Mitchell, Dr. Rudy Shield and Ray Hernandez. And the survey with 4,200 people globally, one of the things they went from um, it to start with was many of them were fearful till they integrated and and began to understand. And then 85% of them 
said they had a psycho-spiritual transformation and only about 15% were left in, in the fear place. And the other point I'd like to make was one of the surveys talked about healing on board craft and out of that 4,200, almost 50%, like yourself, had healing from these beings. And I very much suspect that's what was going on. And you were seeing what you were okay to see at the time. And you could ask that, that sort of part of you that knows, who were they? And see what comes up when you ask without trying to edit your logical analytical side, uh, bringing that in and just asking them to show you. And you might be surprised at who those firefighters really were. That's very good advice. That's always been something uh, Jamie and I talk about all the time. Like, should we do a hypnosis? And there's always a back and forth of fear and thinking like, well, we're kind of happy where we are now. (laughs) And then there's like, well, but what could we gain from that? And it just sounds like overall people that go through hypnosis and counseling for this gain so much more from the experience. Well, what's happening, um, I'm speaking at the contact in the desert again this year. And um, interestingly, Um, I've already um, sent them two presentations, one's on activating your DNA, the other one is about contact, but the final one is all about hypnosis. And in it, I'm showing clips of a number of people that I've worked with and how that has helped them understand their experiences. And I'm sort of demystifying hypnosis and, and showing that often, you know, people fear something only because they don't understand what that is. And really, we're going into an altered state regularly. Every time we watch the television, every time we're relaxed with a bit of music, um, even driving a car over a long distance, we start to go into trance state. We're doing it all the time. There's nothing scary, actually, about being in trance. But what it does allow you to do is you it allows the subconscious to reveal to you more of an experience that your left brain wants to shut down or edit. And so it allows you to really understand something so you can make sense of an experience or not. It's nothing scary about it at all. Some people go into deep hypnosis, and but there's only about 20% that do that normally. The rest go into light trance. And it doesn't mean you, you know, you've lost yourself. You'll still be aware of what's around you. It's just the facilitator takes you down that yellow brick road and focuses you on a particular experience so that you can see more of what's going on because the left, the, the right brain, or we, we call it your subconscious, superconscious, doesn't edit the way your left brain does. So there's nothing scary about it. You know, you're not going to be taken over in any way. Um, it, it's just allowing the information that you normally try very hard to, to uh, understand, it allows that to unfold. And honestly, me and Brie will be front row virtually for that talk. We, we are there. We are ready to hear about it. You know, speaking of contact in the desert, you are in Australia, and that is quite a far ways away. And you, I, you know, I don't see you coming out here to America for every UFO and alien conference in the world. What is so special about content that makes you take that journey out here? Well, I'm only going to be virtual simply because we well, can't leave Australia I, at the moment. I, I mean more like in the past, like what, what made you do, uh, do that travel? Like there's something special about Contact at the Desert and what is it? Me and Brie are, are completely hooked. This will be our fifth or sixth year going. Like 
what is it that keeps bringing you back to contact of the desert well what i see there apart from the fact that it's it's well known now it, uh, you know the huge number of speakers from all areas of what i call the um seeking truth whether or not it's ancient archaeology whether or not it's uh, new science whether it's consciousness whether it's um, encounters etc said it covers such a broad spectrum of uh, interest for most people even if you're not interested in et contact you might be interested in ancient archaeology for example you know where they have people like eric von daniken etc mm-hmm. so it just depends on what area you're interested in, but they all tie together for me it's meeting like-minded people it's also catching up with colleagues who've become friends it enables you know a, a place where if you are um feeling a little out of it feeling very different feeling you can't talk to anyone you can go there and you will be okay you can talk to people there openly and they're not going to judge you they're not going to think you're crazy they're just going to be interested in what you have to say and this has been part of the problem for so many of those with encounters is they say to me who can i talk to you know my family don't want to hear about it they think i'm crazy or my relatives um think i'm crazy um i don't know you know amazing things have happened and i just can't share them with anyone and it's very lonely and the, and because they always feel like well you know this it's not really their home planet if you know what i mean it's, oh, it's like they don't really feel like they belong here so going to something like that or conferences like this i think that's one of the reasons so many people go is to meet others on a similar page that might have had same experiences as them so they don't feel so isolated and so alone and that is i think the big one but for me and other researchers and other speakers it's about being there to share more of the information so more and more people can feel okay and learn and grow with it just as i always do whenever i go You know, you spend so much of your life talking about other people's experiences. How many experiences have you had just of your own in this realm? I've been very careful about how much I say about my personal journey, but what I will say is this. I've always believed that we were more than our physical body and I was brought up very much in a traditional um belief system. And you know, it was life after death, um but you know, the heaven and hell sort. um but what i discovered was as the more i looked into all of it some of it didn't quite fit for me and i started to learn about reincarnation i started to learn there were um things that weren't the truth in terms of what dogma i was told was true so i started to question and because i worked ultimately i mean i was i was a professor you know i was a registered nurse and midwife for, for a number of years but i in counseling when i worked in a medical practice i got um individuals that did have experiences where they felt presences where they would say you know I, my dad comes to me and gives me advice and what have you so i had no problem believing as you know the spiritualists do that mm-hmm. the our spirits of of family members you know angels um guides all of that I didn't have a problem with and I met many many mediums and clairvoyants and whatever but I always believed it was a a gift that some of us could and some of us couldn't mm-hmm. um what what ended up for me was I was invited to learn about that by um a lady who had been told that she was going to teach professionals 
how to open up multidimensionally. And I was one of them. So I spent three years training and opening up to that side of my doing remote healing, you know, energy work, um, connecting to what I call my non-human team. And from that three years apprenticeship, I then went to teaching it for a couple of years to several groups. And from that time, some of my work now is showing people how to manage their abilities or awareness. Because if you've shut down from them over many, many years, you begin to think that you can't ever access that part of yourself, that um, super part of yourself, the part that feels energies or sees orbs or spirits or uh, uh, angelic beings or, um, you know, whatever in the non-physical world. So what I can do if they're ready and want to is I can show them how to reconnect again, how to open that up to themselves um, and to be able to use it again, just as, you know, it's, it's been invaluable for me because when someone has experiences, they open up multidimensionally, they start um, they may be getting downloads, they may be having communication, they may be seeing orbs of light or spirits, they may be seeing the beings at night, and some of them can be very scared, um, and they don't know what to do about it, how to manage it, or afraid they're maybe going to go crazy if they, they open up to it and they, you know, that something's going to get them and, um, and they'll end up crazy. So uh, some of my work is showing them how to manage that in a way that normalizes it and brings it into a very grounded place so that they can work with it. Because I, I believe we all should be operating in that way anyway, that we, you know, 3D is part of our reality, but we also have a multidimensional reality that accesses other realms. And we can all do that. It's not just gifted people. We're all gifted. We all can do it. We've just got to want to. And so that was what I learned about myself, who I thought was very down to earth, grounded, ex-nurse, et cetera, et cetera. And no way could I possibly be able to access what I thought was um, a gift when I found out that, yes, I could. And it actually for a while took me a while to believe it. But in the end, I proved it to myself. So that was my journey so that when now people come to me and that this all starts to happen for them and they're scared of it, I can show them how to manage it without being scared. In other words, they're riding the bike. I show them where the brakes are. I show them where the light switches and, mm -hmm. you know, how to balance, and how to balance the bike. And that has been very useful for many people. Absolutely useful. I, you know, I've just always felt like the spiritual side, getting in tune with all of those things, it's been hand in hand with abduction or contactee experiences. I know that happened for me. It's almost like I don't even remember which one happened first, but that was probably the biggest focus for me was all these other spiritual things that started happening to me after. I wonder, could that be the purpose of all of these contact experiences what have you gained from hearing all of these stories seeing all these connections do you think the purpose is so that we do evolve past just this 3d mindset mindset and going into our other multi-dimensional self or what other purposes do you see overall for all of these contact experiences well it's a very good question and as you know my book awakening says how it can transform your life that's exactly one of the main conclusions that I came to, because when people started to integrate it, accept it and work with it, it transformed their life. And 
uh, you know, the surveys that we did with the free organisations said exactly the same thing, that people were changed in a really positive way. They um, were ecologically minded, less materialistic, um, caring for the planet, feeling connected to the planet, um, not wanting to harm anything, to feel connected to everyone in a loving and caring way. That, I am absolutely certain, is one of the main purposes of these experiences. So for me, that, that is exactly, exactly right. And obviously there are other things that go with that. Some people get very focused on the, um, the environment. Others get very focused on caring for animals. Um, others get focused on healing the planet um, or healing each other. These are the outcomes after contact. So, you know, for me, that says more about these intelligences than anything else is what is the outcome to these experiences and that's exactly what it is absolutely upgrading our our human story it's bringing these other parts of us that we've kind of been conditioned not to appreciate or to think is real i feel like it has to happen on an individual level in order for the impact to be this big. That it wouldn't be the same if people got, like they all say, why don't they land on the White House lawn? I don't think that would be as impactful to our lives as much as when we are contacted individually and we go through this whole awakening process. Do you think that there could be something to it happening on that individual level? I think you're absolutely right. We're all in different uh, places in our consciousness. Um, there are some that are very 3D and there are others that are very multidimensional. And, and what we as a soul call in is what we most need to move us forward. So it is different for everyone, just like some people are more awake than others. So they need a different kind of timing and experience for that to happen. And getting back to why don't they land on the, uh, the White House lawn, um, because the simple reason we'd shoot at them. Yep. So yeah. <laughs> you know, that sort of answers that one pretty, and they have been doing that anyway, uh, um, as we well know that the military do shoot at them and have had some nasty experiences because of it. Exactly. So, um, so that the, the individual waking up is, is what really has the most effect because I know many that were very skeptical of their um, of all of this and didn't believe a word of it until they had their own experience and all of a sudden that completely changed um, their uh, belief system um, and because you know what your audience need to know is you don't necessarily have to believe in aliens or ETs to experience and have an, an encounter with them. It's not about belief. It's actually about an experience. Absolutely. An experience. Jamie and I always talk about that. You could have the best darn UFO video out there, but you're not going to make someone believe unless they experience it themselves. And then there's just no going back. Mm -hmm. Once you're face to face with that, it's incredibly life changing. Well, even Bree's husband, you know, for years, me and Bree have been talking about these aliens and her husband was never into it and he'll, until he saw a UFO with his very own eyes and it changed his whole life around. Exactly. You just have to see it for yourself. Your latest book, The New Human, is that about going forward? Because I wanted to ask you, how do you see humanity progressing from here? You know, Awakening's like the greatest book to pick up if you're even questioning if you're going through these. 
or even just understanding someone that may be going through these. And then I kind of see the new human as, okay, this is what's coming next. This is kind of what has flourished from people having these experiences. And these are the new people that are entering our realm for a reason. So is that how you see our future? Is that what's going to continue to happen? Yes, exactly. The new human really is where we're all going. And even the older models that um, haven't had the same conscious experiences. But I did want to convey what is, um, to me, gives the validity to the children is that they've not been programmed out of their experiences. So what they're remembering has a, um, it has a, a, a congruence, if you like, um, that often as we get older, we, we um, lose that, that, cl- uh, that clarity that they have because they talk about that, you know, some of them mentioned that they've come from other planets, other solar systems, um, you know, other dimensions. They talk about their mission, why they've come here, what they're aware of. They talk about going on, up on spacecraft and learning some really complex um, information, for example. All of this is conscious memory. It's not through hypnosis. And for any of those that doubt hypnosis, that in itself gives it an integrity, especially if you're getting a four or five-year-old saying, um, talking about this. The It goes into the teenage ages and their awareness and then to the adults that have had that awakening or have already known all their lives they've had this experience so it takes you through the generations and it also takes you through what why these children are often seen as different and often diagnosed as adhd or asperger's or dyslexic or whatever is because they're wired differently they see more of the multi-dimensional nature of reality and, and because they're different, you know, they're given that label when, in fact, what they really are is an upgrade human. And that's really very important. We have to understand what the upgraded human experiences as a reality. And the ADHD was by a, a gentleman who had known he was ADHD in his 50s, reworded uh, re- that to always dialed into higher dimensions because they are. I love that. And he wrote Close Encounters of the ADHD Kind. And he, it was his understanding he always saw reality differently. So there's your clue. And it is also, if you talk to some of these children with these labels, you'll find that they look at reality differently. And they're not so easily programmed into the 3D matrix, which is exactly what I think these intelligences are trying to avoid us going back to the old 3D um, limiting and limited uh, reality because we are, in fact, multidimensional. We're not meant to be put in a box. I love that. So empowering. And I love what you have done for people and what I think you're continuing to do for people. Jamie and I do the best we can to be here for people and talk about this. And, you know, we make jokes, so it's lighthearted sometimes, but we bring a lot of information. And our whole thing is just to normalize the topic. But there are still people out there that are really deeply struggling with this, and they still need someone professionally to talk to. Do you still offer counseling, or where else can people get in contact with you if you still offer those types of services? Yes, in answer to that, I still offer counseling support hypnosis. They may have to wait a few weeks because I get very quickly booked up. I would imagine, yeah. 
But I also have colleagues, in, uh, you know, in the US, some of them I've actually worked with so that I know that they are really good at what they do. So I, I can always um, link someone up to someone else as well. So if they need any kind of help like that, then by all means, contact me. That's perfect. That's beautiful. I know a lot of that information is on your website. Absolutely. Well, perfect. Well, Mary, we want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and having a little chit chat with us. It's been our absolute pleasure to have you here. Absolutely. It's been phenomenal. I can't wait to see you and hug you in person. And hopefully we will get to chat soon. Thank you very much, both of you. And keep doing what you're doing, because that really is what we need right now is as many um, sources of information to help people understand. So thank you both. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you, Mary. Thank you so much, Mary. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye for now.